If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey everyone, I'm Brenda and I'm Julia and you're listening to Roaring 20s Podcast. Your 20s are known as both the most exciting and most confusing years of your life. We're here to share our stories, to have real and raw conversations, and best of all, to make you feel a little less alone. This podcast was brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Roaring Twenties Podcast. Today we have on with us Lindsay Kite. Lindsay is one half of the nonprofit Beauty Redefined, which works to promote positive body image and resilience among girls and women. We are so excited to have her. We have so many questions. It's such an amazing organization, and I think we're all going to learn a lot today. So, Lindsay, thank you so much for being here. We're we're honored to have you. Oh, thanks. Of course, I'm happy to be here. This will be fun. Yeah. So much fun. It'll be so much fun. I was telling Julia that I'm so impressed by the reach that you guys have because honestly, of course, we we know a lot more about this space and we've had our own experiences and we know Jesse Jean, who you are collaborating with right now, but even people who don't really know too much about diet culture or all the things that you talk about share things from Beauty Redefined. And every time I see it, I'm like, yes, yes, you're starting to get it. I love hearing that. Whenever anyone says, oh my gosh, I saw my friend from high school that was sharing something of yours. And it's people, like you said, who aren't necessarily into body image specific stuff, but maybe we've shared something about like dress codes and how that can promote objectification of girls, things like that. So exactly. It's a wide array of subjects. It's yeah. so cool to see. It's so exciting. So before we get into all of that, Lindsay, I want you to introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about you, who you are, where you're from, and if you don't mind saying how old you are. I was going to say that. So yeah, don't worry. Let everyone know I'm a little older than your demographic. Graphic, but not by that much, I guess. I'm 35. Not at least. And proud to be 35. I just turned 35 um, like three weeks ago, just in Happy September. birthday! Guys, <laughs> thanks. So yeah, it's been great. So I'm Lindsay, and like you said, I'm one half of the nonprofit Beauty Redefined with my twin sister, Lexi. I live in New York City. Lexi lives in Salt Lake City, Utah. Oh my God, opposite sides! I know. And I used to live there for a very long time, and I still go back pretty regularly, less so during a pandemic, but yeah. You know how it goes. But we both did our master's and our PhDs at the University of Utah, studying all things body image. So especially developing this model for body image resilience to encourage people to recognize the hard things that we go through with our bodies, especially being women in this culture, and then use those hard experiences to help us become stronger and better and happier and all that stuff. Yeah. So yeah, I also work full-time for the Clinton Foundation. That's like, that's my day job. So yeah. And Lexi works full time at the University of Utah. So we both work very hard in addition to this. Oh my God, I can only imagine. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, I stay fairly busy, but the... This is the best thing I do with all of my time by far is be able to talk to people and spread messages via Instagram or Facebook or whatever it may be to help people find our work. We also just finished writing a book, which I can tell you more about later. Oh yeah, we're getting, we are definitely going to get to the book. Don't worry. We're really excited to hear about it. We're so excited. Oh my gosh. I I like, I'm like, where do I even begin right now? (laughs) But we also, we also live in New York. We're on Long Island though. But we are lucky enough to know a little bit about your story and your 
your background, but for our listeners, let's say it's the first time they've ever somehow come across you. What should they know? Impossible. <laughs> yeah, impossible. <laughs> so there are a lot. There are a lot more they need to know about our stuff. So yeah. this is great. So my personal story, I'll just start there. Um, grew up, I've by all measures have had a privileged life. You know, I'm white, I'm able-bodied, I'm heterosexual, like I came from a middle class family. Grew up in Idaho, just a nice suburban, regular you know, growing up experience. Yet I felt such extreme shame about my body, about my appearance, especially my weight for my whole life. And so did my twin sister, Lexi. And that is despite all of the privileges that we had, despite, you know, having every advantage in life. And I recognized that everyone I knew almost was experiencing the same things. Mm -hmm. Didn't matter their size, what they looked like, any of that kind of stuff. And so this was something that I had my eyes open to from a very young age, but I wasn't critical of it. I was only critical of myself. Mm -hmm. I felt like I was abnormal and my happiness and my health and my love life would all begin once I lost the right amount of weight or perfected my appearance in some other way. And it was just kind of this endless hustle of dissatisfaction. And that started to change my freshman year in college when Lexi and I were actually both sitting in a class um, called Media Smart. So we were in separate sections of the same class because we wanted to be different. (laughs) (laughs) We wanted to be different, taking same course, just at different times. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Different times of the day. But we both came home that day and just shared the experience with each other because we had learned all of this about how media manipulates the images that we see to uh, manipulate the way we feel about them. And the part that really stood out to me and to Lexi was that the way they represent images of women's bodies, the images that we see fall into one category, especially when we were growing up. Mm -hmm. Um, They were overwhelmingly white, young, very thin, Mm -hmm. surgically or digitally augmented in all the right places, smoothed out, blurred, all of that kind of stuff. And it's, it's even worse today. But that created this idea of normal in my mind that I was far from and that I was never going to get to. And we all experienced that on some level. But I first had my eyes open to that when I was a freshman in college. And ever since then, I went on to major in or I minored in women's studies. I majored in journalism. Lexi and I both went on to get our master's and PhDs, really digging into this stuff to understand how media messages really affect women in particular and how that views ourselves. And more importantly, how we can recognize those harmful messages and work against it in our own lives. Oh my goodness. That's, that's so powerful. I, this is like a small anecdote, but I remember um, growing up every time we would go like to the movies and watch something. I remember this particular instance when I went to see the last song with Miley Cyrus. And I remember at the very, like during the movie and after I left, I was like, okay, now I, I really have to diet because like, look at the, the beautiful love that she has. Like, look at all these things. And that's one small example, but yeah. it's so true. Like all these messages that we take in, like, I really believe she was the epitome of beautiful. And she is of course. Um, but I thought that was the only kind of beautiful. And I thought that all of the things that the, the positive things that happened to her was tied to that. So oh, totally. Yeah. And you get that from so many different sources and messages throughout your whole life that it's this cumulative effect where we see only very thin women being pursued or being in happy relationships or being the lead or the star of the show or moving the plot forward, whatever it is. All success and good things always go to the very thin women and the ones who weren't we're usually like the best friend who has no love life or she's just the butt of the joke or the evil stepmother or whatever. We internalize these things from the time we're literally two and three years old. And that has an effect for the rest of our lives to the point where we're all unlearning it today. Yeah. Even subconsciously, like I think, you know, even if you're not conscious of it, it's just like, because you're being conditioned to it over and over and over again, the magazine that you walk past in the store, the commercial that pops up, like you might, I think a lot of times we're, we're not even aware of of how much it is seeping into our our subconsciousness and therefore like our consciousness and it's just so crazy but Lindsay, i'm really interested in um that you got a degree in this which i didn't even know was like possible can you talk a little bit about like what that education was like and like what learning about this was like in school i i think it's awesome that you're you where you went offered something like this it's amazing yeah. Well, they didn't really. It's kind of like a pave your own path. Sort like of a mishmash. Yeah. 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 So it started definitely 
by finding that little niche through certain classes, like I mentioned, women's studies classes, gender studies classes, that was really my on-ramp into this stuff. Being able to be really critical and see things through a feminist perspective, Mm -hmm. especially on media. So my whole path started with women's studies and media studies in particular. And so at first I took this journalism path so I could understand, you know, how to write and kind of capitalize on on those strengths that I already had. And then um, from there, I decided to look more at like the back end, how media messages manipulate us, how they're engineered the way they are, and how we can deal with those effects. And so in doing that, there weren't necessarily, there are several professors who research and teach about things in this same vein. And so that's what I would recommend to people who are interested in this sort of work, is to look up all the people with PhDs, all the professors, wherever they are, and look through the research they've done and what they've published. And if it really resonates with you, follow those people. So I knew of a couple of professors at the University of Utah who were doing similar work and I was able to take a couple of classes from them and then really just choose professors who maybe had tangential experience and interest but were able to really support me on my own research path. So I ended up taking classes. My degrees are from the Department of Communication but I took a lot of classes in media criticism and analysis all the way over to health promotion, health studies and education, um, sociology, psychology. It's a real mix of everything. Oh, that's amazing. I mean, I wish there, and I'm sure there soon will be. I mean, people have courses. I know you guys have a course and that'll be something that you can go and study in college that it's like, literally you can get your degree in this specific thing. And that's going to be so cool. We sure need it. And I think you guys should be the ones to do it. Yeah. Someday, maybe. (laughs) Putting it out there. (laughs) So how did all of this lead you both to starting your company? Yeah, good question. So it was actually right at the end of our master's degrees. So we both ended up taking all of our classes together in grad school because it was just easier that way. Yeah. Um, We ended up with like dual fellowships to study at the same time and do similar things. Amazing. Yeah, which was crazy. We were trying to be separate and it just, it never worked. So (laughs) So we, um, at the end of our master's degrees that included this dual thesis and a dual project. So our work was so public focused as opposed to being um, just academia focused that we wanted to create something we could take elsewhere, not just to present to professors or put in a journal. So we created this one hour visual presentation and just literally by word of mouth, we started taking that to different audiences. Our very first presentation ever was for a group of at-risk high school girls Mm-hmm. Um, in a school district near us. And we just presented to them at a hotel this one day. And from there, people just started asking us. And so that created kind of a push to put our research out in more accessible ways. So we started a blog all the way back in 2009 and started just putting some of our research out there. We started a Facebook page after that, started to get kind of a following. I remember when we had a thousand people following our Facebook group and we thought we had really struck it big. Like that was- That in- is big! Um, no, it's yeah. big. A thousand more people that- didn't know before. Yes. So. Yeah, exactly. Julia, we absolutely relate. I know, we're the same we relate. <laughs> um, That also gives me, honestly, a lot of hope for, you know, our platform and in general, because it's it's true. You got to keep on pushing towards what you're passionate about and you really attract the people, I guess, the, the people that want to learn from you yeah. and are inspired absolutely. by you. And we've had some people follow us since we started in 2009. It always blows my mind when those people will come up to us at a speaking engagement or write us and say, I've been following you since, you know, I was in high school school or whatever. And now I'm like an old mom. (laughs) It's wild, but it really just kind of spun off from there. So we started doing a lot more social media engagement, a lot more presentations, speaking engagements all over the U.S., universities and treatment centers and things like that. And that it became a nonprofit, a 501c3 in 2013, I believe. And we've just continued to do what we can to grow it from that point. Amazing. Wow, we clearly really we really that. like it. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are so nice. <laughs> but it's it's true because it's so uh, you're, you know, I follow you guys on Instagram. That's m- mostly how I know the work that you guys do, but the messages that you are putting out are so powerful, especially in this age of social media and especially with all the young women on social media. Like that's something that kind of terrifies me, but to ha- you know, because there is so much on there that can be so uh, I don't even know the word detrimental. <laughs> yeah. to like mental health so to have platforms like yours on there is just even more important I think now than ever because there is so much out there that you know can be so destructive when it comes to body image and the way that women think about themselves especially when you're seeing so much of it so young you're like so primed to it 
And I mean, we were talking about, you know, before the movie, the magazines, but we didn't have Instagram when we were like little, like, and so I can only imagine, you know, for, for women younger than us, how, how heightened it must be. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Absolutely true. It's important for us to be on the platforms where people are also discovering the stuff that's harmful because that gives us an opportunity to try to counteract it a little bit, or at least provide a platform where like their older sisters or moms or teachers can tag them and say, Hey, I wanted you to see this you know yeah exactly yeah it's it's so interesting seeing all of these there are a lot more like influencers out there now that are sharing even i'm at least fascinated by it showing like a a picture of themselves and then a picture of like what you can do if you edit it and how different it looks but i know that you guys specifically focus on being more than an image and being more than a body and it's a little bit different than most of the people that we've had on here mm-hmm. although i know you know you you support this that a lot of people do talk about like learning to love and, and accept your body and not that you're against that but to seeing ourselves more than that is an extra step so um, why do you believe it's this is important can like can you elaborate a little bit on that yeah good question that definitely does differentiate us from a lot of the other people who are trying to make changes in this And you're right, that's not to say that we don't fully support them and that they're not doing great work, but what's really important from our perspective, especially through our PhD research, is that we recognize what's really holding women back, what's really hurting us in terms of body image and self-worth is that women are so fixated on their appearance on their bodies. And so even when we try to shift the conversation to say, hey, but this body's beautiful too, and my body's beautiful too, that still is keeping us fixated on whether or not we're beautiful. And it might, of course it feels good for a moment. Of course it feels good to believe that you're attractive and maybe you're even more beautiful than you thought you were. But what's important to note is that it just doesn't last. There's just so much research to show that that feeling is fleeting because it's up against so many other messages that will consistently remind you, but you'll be beautiful when you lose those last few pounds. Or maybe if you got rid of that cellulite or you got rid of your wrinkles or whatever it is, there will always be something left. There will be something more because that bar is consistently out of reach. And so our focus is really on the harmful effects of objectification of women's bodies. When we see ourselves and other people as objects, that's where all of the problems start. And we wouldn't be so worried about trying to tell women they're beautiful if women weren't so fixated on how they look, you know? That's why people aren't saying to men, you're so handsome just the way you are. Because men overwhelmingly are... Right? Doesn't it sound just like pretty crazy to say that to men? They'd be like, okay, thank you. Yeah. I've literally never heard anybody (laughs) say that before. I'm, I'm shook. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's definitely, it's different with men because obviously men are valued for a lot more things than just their appearance, athleticism, intellect, money, humor, all that kind of stuff, especially within media. And that's not to say that they aren't valued for their appearance and judged by that because it's increasingly a problem, especially for young men in terms Mm -hmm. of like muscles and fitness and all that. Yeah. But overwhelmingly, it's women who are dealing with being objectified, facing the effects of that, and then trying to navigate our way through it and feel beautiful at the same time. And what we found through our research is that you can kill two birds with one stone by teaching women that they're more than just bodies. Like when you really believe that you're more than an object, that you're more than something to be looked at, then your focus on whether or not you look beautiful or attractive in this moment decreases and you can focus on bigger and better and more important things. Yeah. yeah. Uh, wow. It's so it, it's so important, and I I think that that is the ultimate message. But where where can someone start with that? It feels hard. Like where yeah. where would you tell someone to start who wants to kind of shift their mindset on that? It's a big question, right? Like this yeah. is it's an overwhelming issue for a lot of people. So what I recommend, there's a lot of different ways to approach this, but most women will be able to find some resonance with this topic by recognizing how it's affected their own personal lives. Mm -hmm. So women usually find us because something about what we've said about objectification will resonate with them. And what's unique about our research is that we focus on self-objectification. So not just 
women who are being treated as objects by other people, but women, all of us, who picture ourselves as objects while we're living our lives instead of just living our lives. We have this mental surveillance where we are constantly thinking, how do I look from this angle? Do I need to keep my chin up? Do my thighs look all right in this position? Like who's looking at me right now? And even when you're all alone, this is self-objectification. It's like this mental task list that keeps you fixated on how other people might perceive you doing whatever you're doing. And it distracts us from everything because part of your mental and physical energy is constantly dedicated to monitoring your appearance. And this is not something that most men do, but it is something that most women do and most girls starting from a very young age. And so I want women to recognize when they're doing this. Like when you're sitting in class or walking down the street or speaking in front of a room or anything, if you're on Zoom, my goodness, this is a problem on oh Zoom. Oh my God, the Zoom. Or looking work. at our own faces and yeah. just thinking like, oh, I gotta fix this and that. Yeah. So first of all, recognize when you're doing that. And then try to recognize the things that you've missed out on because you were too fixated on how you looked to really get involved. Yep. You wouldn't believe the number of stories we've heard and experienced ourselves from girls who quit dance or volleyball or basketball or soccer or didn't go up for that class president position or didn't go up for a promotion and completely stopped exercising and won't go on dates. You know, like the list goes on and on forever because they don't think they look right. They don't think they look good enough right now. Can you imagine how this is holding so many of us back? The things that we could be experiencing and accomplishing? I, I mean, un unbelievably. And like when I think about it too, and I think about like the times when I'm able to be like actually present with where I am and what I'm doing is the times that actually I probably, I, I am the most attractive. When like, because I like, it's the time when you're like really having fun with your friend dancing, not worrying about how you're looking is when the guy comes up to you at the bar or it's like when you're when I mean I'm an actor and when I'm not thinking about how I'm looking at how I'm looking on stage is when I give my best performance and it's like it's it's true like what you're saying is yeah. not like a made up thing like it's true when we really are not so focused on the way we look and you know more focused on what we have to bring to the table and being present and it, it, you actually are more attractive when you're doing that other thing than the worrying about how attractive you are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, it's really true. That's crazy. And the interesting thing is like, I'm thinking a lot about this and we hear the terms like body neutrality and body acceptance, but like that is still focusing on your body. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people that have struggled with food and body and all that stuff, do you say, you know, even further down in your healing journey, you will have bad body image days or harder body images and that's normal. But I don't know, I guess thinking about it in this way, it's like, if you do take away the focus from your body entirely and do see yourself as as beyond that then i'm certain that moments like that would be so much less impactful i don't know it's it's so fascinating because even so much of what we focus on now body positivity body confidence okay. acceptance neutrality all these things really do still focus on your body even yeah. if it's very well intended of course right. um, and they're important too i see them as stepping stones toward the ultimate goal which is developing your body image resilience Yes. So body positivity, body neutrality, these are really important things, not just to like understand and you don't have to master them by any means because they're, they're not something you're not ever going to be 100% I'm done, I'm body positive or I accept my body, you know, it's like a daily practice and a process. But the most important part is to be able to develop your body image resilience, which is the ability to practice skills and strategies that you've learned over time to be able to respond to the negative things that happen to you, especially the negative things that bring up shame about your body, responding to them in ways that are proactive and helpful to you as opposed to hurtful or harmful to you. Like, think about it. When, when people you know, or even yourselves, who have been having really bad body image days, if they've been bullied or been through an injury or an illness or, you know, major weight gain, major weight loss, any of this kind of stuff, even puberty. Puberty is a big thing that changes our bodies from a young age. And when people are dealing with a lot of shame about these things, that... It, they're forced to respond. So people will respond in one of what we found are three different ways. People will primarily take three different paths in response to these negative things, which we call disruptions to your body image. And a lot of people will do the thing that's the most harmful. They will self-harm, cutting, 
abusing themselves in some other way, hurting themselves deliberately in order to numb the pain or punish themselves or escape or whatever it might be. People will also do this through disordered eating, which is a huge one. So many of us do this. Abusing alcohol or prescription drugs or illegal drugs. All of these are ways that people cope with the shame they feel about their own bodies. And even more commonly probably is just all of us who cling to those comfort zones that are actually really uncomfortable. We try to just hide ourselves and fix ourselves so we can cope in the moment. Yep. It might be new clothes or making plans for a procedure that you really want or new makeup or maybe it's like a, a crash diet that you're going to go on for the next five days or whatever before your event or vacation. All of these are ways that we cope, but they don't fix us. They don't help us feel any better regardless of the outcome of these, you know, all, all the fixing and hiding and everything. But the better path is to choose to practice your strategies for body image resilience. And all of the work that we do through our nonprofit is to help people develop these strategies, to tap into their own sources of power so that they can make choices the next time they feel that shame that allow them to help themselves rather than hurt themselves. Mm -hmm. And one of the biggest ways, you guys have probably heard this if you're familiar with our work, is to not think of your body as beautiful or not beautiful or good or bad. Think of your body instead as an instrument, not an ornament. It's like you're not forgetting about your body entirely. You're not pretending like it doesn't exist, but you're focusing on how you feel inside your body, what you can do, what this incredible body allows you to experience as opposed to just how it looks from the outside. And that is a game changer. Yeah. Absolutely. That, that phrase that you guys use is so, is so powerful. And we were talking about it the other day as well. It's just, oh, I, I think it resonates because it's, it's just not a normal way that we go about thinking. Yeah. And you kind of talked about it a little bit before, but we are incredibly fixated, not only on what we think of ourselves, but what we think other people may be thinking about us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> may not, by the way. Um, probably not. Probably not, but may or may not be thinking about us. So how do, how, what advice would you give to someone that is trying to stop doing that <laughs> so much and how can we begin to shift our mindset? What really helps is to, de to develop a really stable sense of self. So when you can have confidence in your own abilities, your own experiences, who you really are innately as a person, if you have purpose and meaning to your life that extends far beyond how you appear to other people and what they think of you, then it's a lot easier to not be swayed by other people's negative comments or rejection or, you know, all the other things that will totally destroy how we feel about ourselves, especially our bodies. And so my first bit of advice would be to work on those things. Like that's a big task, obviously. But it's something that we all can explore for ourselves to really tap into. Reconnect to yourself, like that little girl who lives inside you, the same body that you grew up in, that you were born in. Really think about how you can tap into your own innate power, all of the experiences you've had in this incredible body. And practice that gratitude and practice just listening to like your higher self, who you really are, what you really know about yourself and believe about yourself, what you would tell your younger self. Yeah. And then when you are really just kind of bogged down with fear about how other people see are seeing you, especially when it comes to like dating mm -hmm. and what maybe family members think or other people like that, what I would encourage is to surround yourself with people who know better and are willing to do better, you know? Yeah. Surround yourself with people that you can speak openly to and say, hey, I've actually struggled for a long time with being a little bit too fixated on how I look. And I feel like it's been a detriment to my life. I feel like I've missed out on a lot because of this. And so I would love your help to just not talk about how I look. You know, let's, let's talk about other things. If you want to compliment me, please do that. I would love to hear your compliments, but I just want them to be about something a little deeper that you really appreciate about me as opposed to whether you think I've lost weight or my skin looks nice or whatever. Yeah. I love that. Especially approaching it with kindness, because I think especially if you're in a really, really difficult place with this. It can be easy to feel like triggered by certain things that might not even be intended to do that. Um, I remember like examples of my dad commenting on like snacks that I was eating. He truly was like maybe asking me a question or making a comment unrelated, but I was in such a difficult place that I totally interpreted his comment as meaning that he thought I was fat. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah. I attributed that for myself as a negative thing. So yeah, I think really expressing and meeting other people with kindness as well makes them less combative. And because you mentioned compliments, it just made me think about something. Since there is there are these extremes in all different places when it comes to talking about bodies or not talking about them or seeing yourself as more, once you've undergone like 
healing and, and, and you feel good and, and all this stuff and you don't really feel impacted by comments on your body and stuff like that, would you say it's still negative? And this is a genuine question. Negative for people to say, hey, you look strong. Like, do you think that still reinforces that our bodies, that, that we're not more than our bodies? Does that make sense? Yeah. No, that's a good question. It's very practical. You know, it's, yeah. I would say that almost none of us will ever be so solidly at a place that any comment about our body wouldn't affect us or wouldn't have the potential to trigger you into remembering that like, oh my gosh, this person must have thought I looked bad before or, you know, should I not ever wear that outfit again? We go through these, you know, thoughts like this. But in terms of the question about whether it's ever appropriate to comment on someone's appearance or if you should ever be grateful that someone comments on your, on your appearance, I would just say that like we're all human. And we live in this world that very much values physical appearance. And we very much want to be found physically attractive, especially by our partners or people that we're looking to date. And we want to be proud and impressed with us. Mm -hmm. And so no one should feel shame for that. No one should feel like it's a bad thing to compliment somebody else. What I would warn is that particularly comments about body size should just be avoided altogether. Yes. Really, unless you 100% know the ins and outs of how or why someone lost that weight, just don't say anything about it. Ask them questions instead and not about their weight. I would say something like, hey, how are you feeling? Like, you know, just tell me what's going on in your life. And if they want to open up about it, great. But you would not believe the thousands, literally thousands of stories that I've heard from people who say, you know what, I had cancer or I was depressed or I was in the depths of an eating disorder mm-hmm. and people com- complimented me constantly on how I looked, even strangers. And it reinforced every bad thing that I believed about myself. Yeah. So this body size stuff, be so careful. But for people that you know and love, it's okay to tell them they're beautiful. It's okay to tell them that you like their outfit or their hair or whatever yeah. all that stuff is. What's most important is that you don't only do that. Yeah. You know, always pair it up with something that's a little deeper and more meaningful. Mm-hmm. And that will make sure they know that you're, you see them as so much more than just a body, an object. Right. Yeah. I love that. Cause yeah, it could that's be so like awesome. your outfit is beautiful and you like, you were so smart the way that you handled that thing yeah. the other day or like, cause, and it, it's, it's like, you know, because we're so constantly hearing all the body beauty stuff if you're more constantly hearing the other stuff also then it's like it's just bringing it up to the surface more and it makes everything a little bit easier and there's like so many things you could find to compliment someone on that has nothing to do with the way that they're looking that it's harder it's definitely harder you got to put more thought and effort into it but that's what makes it so much more meaningful we all need that absolutely and um kind of on the same vein what advice would you have for someone who, let's say there's someone in their life, like you were saying, like yeah. your dad, who does or has made comments about your body or things that you're doing in relation to your body that do trigger you or make you feel uncomfortable? Do you have any advice about how to like broach a conversation with that person because you know that they're not coming from a place, like an ill-intentioned place? Yeah. Yeah. I would definitely approach it, like we said, from a place of kindness. Approach it from a vulnerable perspective, because when you're vulnerable with someone and you're genuine about what you have struggled with and what is negatively impacting your life, then it's going to disarm someone. Mm -hmm. So someone might be defensive because like you said, they're not trying to do anything bad or wrong or hurt you. And so they might be defensive and it's okay, but just be prepared to disarm them and say like, no, 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 I know you love me and I know you wouldn't try to hurt me, but I just want to be really raw with you about how this does affect me and other people in my life do it too. And I do it to other people. And I'm just working to be more conscious of how this affects me and whatever it is that they're saying, use specific examples and just ask them to rethink that. Ask them to just, you know, go along with you for a bit and just practice talking about other things or avoiding certain subjects because it's something that you really need right now. And I think most people would be willing. And honestly, if they're not, is that somebody that you really want to have in your life closely, you know? Yeah. If it's someone who's who's not willing to hear your vulnerability and openness and take it seriously, then I think maybe for the time being, consider stepping back a little bit and saying, even if you need to say to them, I need a little bit of a break because these comments have hurt me. And, you know, I got to do my own thing right now and I still love you, but I need some space. Definitely. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I think sometimes even for people that are willing to learn or like willing to meet you where you are, sometimes 
I feel like there are people even in my life that are truly like at square one when it comes to learning about this whole other side of what the media doesn't really show as as consistently. So where would you start? You know, for someone that really like has no idea who Beauty Redefined is, who doesn't follow these amazing people on Instagram or know of- Like in an educational way? Yeah, I guess. Because I think sometimes like I think about people in my life that, you know, never meant to, to harm me or make me sad. But like when I- presented this whole thing of, you know, it's, it's not about how small you can get or all these things. Like the people are genuinely confused, like, uh, like it's very confusing. So (laughs) where would you start? Like, how would you open that conversation? I think one good way to appeal to people is to say the media that we've all been surrounded by and these cultural ideals about what beauty looks like have really impacted people and they've impacted me. So again, get kind of vulnerable about it and say, um, when I've compared myself to these images, my whole life I've thought I needed to be smaller or I needed to have different hair or skin tone or whatever. And what I've realized is that this is pretty much universal, especially in the US, especially in in the industrialized world in general. And you should point out that this body shame that people feel in comparison to these images is doing huge damage to us. And people will be able to understand it when you can put it into terms that they already value. So people value health and they value self-esteem. And when you can tell them that this body shame is actually hugely damaging to people's health, because when people are disgusted by their bodies and embarrassed of them, they take worse care of them. When you hate your body, you're going to be more likely to restrict and then to binge. It will screw up your hormones, your metabolism. It will make your weight go up and down to the point where you no longer really know when you're hungry or when you're full. You won't be able to listen to your internalized cues for what your body needs and wants. Instead, you're just going to be subject to the feeling of, am I too fat? Should I be less fat? Am I too fat? Did I eat too much food? Should I punish myself? It's just this cycle and it hurts us. And a lot of people will try to argue with you and say, no, people who are too fat need to feel shame so that they will make better choices. All the research in the world shows it's not true. Shame is not a motivator. Shame is a demotivator. It will motivate you only toward self-harm, addiction, abuse, all of the bad things. And people rationally can understand that. You know, when you, when you can really pull out the facts about how shame actually hurts people's health and not only their self-esteem, you know, some people might devalue the role of self-esteem in someone's life. And of course you can use your own personal examples to show them why it's important to feel good about yourself and all the ways you may have held yourself back because you didn't feel like you were beautiful enough or skinny enough or whatever. They might respond to that. But that health thing I think is like kind of the lowest common denominator. If you want people to be healthy, if you want people to eat in a balanced way and to move their bodies and exercise, then you want people to be able to accept their bodies at whatever size they are right now, or else they won't be able to do it. Yeah. Wow. Well, guys, you could just play exactly (laughs) what Lindsay said to those people in your life because... Wow. Yeah. It's really it's really powerful. Speaking of media and shame, mm-hmm. you guys did a post, I think a while back, I think mm-hmm. it was in May, about Adele after her weight loss and how she kind of served as this like before and after image for the world. And she got so much shame on both ends, um, on both sides, I guess, of the coin. Can you talk a little bit about that post that you guys did and about just that whole yeah. story? Yeah, one of the big things we often talk about is how harmful before and after images can be. So there are always these like really just glorified transformations that people go through. Mm-hmm. And often it's because, yeah, they, they worked really hard and exercised and maybe got rid of an addiction or whatever. And, you know, they look different, mm-hmm. supposedly better afterward. The problem there is that better always just so happens to be thinner. Right. Always. And it usually just so happens to fit all the other ideals we've been told are valuable for women in particular and often for men as well. But those are damaging because so many people will, will look like you're before and maybe they didn't know they should be so horrified to look like you're before that you're posting online saying, oh, look, I can't, I'm so embarrassed to post this, but this is how I looked six months ago, you know? It, it causes us to focus so much on the appearance of our bodies and to equate our appearance with our health. And that's one of those big, big downfalls. With the Adele situation, that's interesting because she never said a damn thing about her losing weight, Mm -hmm. how or why she did it, what happened there. We literally know nothing. We know that she had a child a couple of years ago. She went through a horrible divorce 
she may have been sick and sad and depressed. We have literally no idea. No, no idea. Yeah. And yet everyone, like you said, both sides of the coin are like, oh my gosh, Adele, you're the hottest thing I've ever seen. I can't believe that you did this. You're, you know, you're so much better than you were before. Yeah, yeah. Words. And then on the other end, it's like, oh, you're, you know, disgusting and emaciated. And how could you do this? And you've rejected the body positive community. And all of it is absolutely ridiculous and ludicrous. Yep. And so basically Adele was just turned into this before and after transformation right before our eyes, even though she never agreed to. Right. She may not want to be. Well, she of course doesn't want to be, or else she would be open about it and talk about it. And so we need to stop using women as these icons of uh, that are solely defined by their bodies. You know, that's it. Yeah. We're talking about anything else other than that she was fat and now she's skinny. And oh my goodness, what does this mean? Right. Instead of talking about how her mental health is, how her how her life is going, what's going on in her mm-hmm. life? Like, there's like yeah. so much talented. Right. She how <laughs> talented she is. How her new songs are gonna be so awesome because she's happy or like whatever. Like, it it's just going back to the whole purpose of what you guys do is that like we're so focused on body so and there focused. is so much more going on that's so much more interesting and important mm-hmm. and it just yeah, you guys really helped it's really to, crazy to shift that narrative yeah something else that we talk about we've had a sex therapist on the podcast um we talk about the fear of rejection as women when it comes to intimacy and how you can kind of cultivate confidence you know all these types of topics and often we tie our appearance to whether we're worthy of love or connection or all of these things so you guys talk a little bit about you know how we're trained to blame ourselves for the love we don't receive, but that we can't turn against ourselves. We can turn against objectification directly from one of your posts because it was so powerful. <laughs> so well said. So well said. And can you just elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah. I think that is a pretty powerful topic for people to consider because every one of us have done it. You know, when we grow up believing that only thin women or women thinner than us are deserving of love and that that men can only be attracted to women who look one way. And it is predominantly in heterosexual relationships that we believe these things. Yeah. Then of course you grow up thinking that love is just on the other side of that weight loss or just on the other side of that procedure you're going to get done or, you know, whatever it is. And of course we blame ourselves when we get rejected, which may or may not have anything to do with how we looked, then we blame our bodies specifically, not just ourselves as people. We blame our appearance. And this is not something that's healthy. It's not something that is deserved. And so it's really important for people to recognize that we've got to stop turning against our own bodies. We've got to stop pinning the blame for everything that we don't get on our bodies. It's just one more way we've been trained to turn against ourselves, these incredible bodies that we have grown up in and lived our entire lives in. They're not our enemies. We have to learn to give our bodies the benefit of the doubt, you know, and to give other people the benefit of the doubt as well, especially when it comes to dating and romantic personalities suits because we do get so caught in thinking that all of it is so tied to so conditional on how we look when in reality it's really not like we can all think of our own experiences or the experiences of people we love even just like people we work with and that we can see eye to eye in the places we live they aren't the most attractive people in the world in order to find love you know like people of all different shapes and sizes and uh, appearances are able to find love because love isn't something that is on the surface. Love is something that requires a human connection. And if you only have a connection that's based on what's on the surface, then it's probably not really love and it's probably not going to be that fulfilling and it's probably not going to last. So why are we so stuck chasing just the physical fleeting surface thing and then blaming ourselves when the rest of the connection isn't even there? Yeah, no, that's that's crazy. And I we find so many, I, I'm thinking of myself and I'm thinking of our friends and we've had conversations and, and they're like, you know, everybody, so many of our friends feel afraid to be rejected, even in like long-term relationships relationships because they really attribute that to having something to do with the way that they that they look right even like if you're like oh, with not someone to me anymore. for a long time it's like oh but today I'm like really bloated or like today mm-hmm. like I you know whatever we want to say about yeah. our body oh my skin looks really bad yeah. so I can't and it's like a true belief be, like, like you really intimate because I have to hide myself or like yeah mm-hmm. it's like it comes up so much for women especially our age like yeah. I don't know if you mature past that at all but uh, for women <laughs> 
in our yeah, yeah. It's just so crazy, and how much we hold ourselves back from experiences or connection or of those things because, again, of that shame piece. We're constantly yeah. shaming. I would say a couple different things about that. One is that I don't want to discount the fact that men are just as brainwashed as women are when it comes to what makes a woman attractive or valuable. Totally. You know, they've grown up surrounded by the same media we have that only shows one way to be an attractive woman. 100%. So yeah, there is, there is a lot of bias. There is a lot of prejudice and discrimination out there. But at the same time, you ask the partners of those women who are like, oh, I'm bloated, I'm gross, he's not going to love me anymore. The partners probably didn't even notice. Yeah, they yeah. didn't notice. <laughs> and like their sex drive is probably exactly the same regardless of how the woman happens to feel that day. And so we need to give other people the benefit of the doubt too instead of pinning that blame directly on our bodies. And if I can speak personally, um, I, I think it's really important just to share examples. I love to see examples in my own life of people who maybe don't have the perfect body, who aren't as thin as all the ones that we always see in mainstream media and don't have perfectly flawless skin and maybe have some cellulite and the hair that isn't perfect, whatever, all the examples. I love to see those people in happy relationships or having a good sex life because that is just one more contradiction to the lies that we've been sold our entire lives about what it takes to be worthy of love or sex or whatever it is that we're looking for. And in my own life, I'm single, so I've never been married, but I'm also probably fatter than I've ever been. I'm not sure because I don't weigh myself. I'm not too uh, hung up on that. I love to not know that number. But at the same time, I've had the best dating year of my entire life. And this I think is important for people to know because we're so held back by our own fears and projections about what it means to be fatter than you were before or fatter than you pictured yourself being at this point in your life or, you know, in otherwise not living up to whatever appearance ideal. But I want you to know that for the most part, those things are projections that are manipulated and they're often just straight up lies. If you had asked me, they are lies. lies. If you had asked me 10 or 15 years ago, what my life would be like at 35, what my dating life would be like and all of that, I would have thought that in order to have the life that I have right now, I would need to weigh a lot less. I would need to look a lot different. And I have proven myself wrong. It is one of my greatest, like my pride and joy of the last several years of my life that I have proven every fear that I had wrong. I'm able to live the life I want. I have been accepted by the people that I wanted to date. The weight thing and the appearance thing is just not the barrier that we've been told it is. It's not a deal breaker. I think if you're willing to prove yourself wrong, you have to be brave. You have to be willing to put yourself out there. And it is terrifying. But you at least give yourself the opportunity to learn that those lies that you've been told your whole life are lies. And that's what we really need. Oh, 100%. I think people are going to be so inspired by that. And I know I've told Julia this before that I've felt uncomfortable in my skin many a times. And sometimes, of course, it still comes up. And in moments when you feel uncomfortable and you want to hide from the world, when you make the choice to believe that you're worthy to still put yourself out there, you do prove yourself wrong because then you also realize, okay, I'm deeply uncomfortable, but everyone around me is treating me all the same. Everybody loves me. Everybody, you know, is excited to see me, loves my Mm -hmm. energy. And it it just really does exactly like you said. I think it's like, it's almost like you're, you're putting a test out there (laughs) with yourself and showing yourself that you're worthy no matter what. So what you just described is the resilience process because you're in this uncomfortable comfort zone where you think you should probably just hide or fix yourself or maybe even hurt yourself. And instead you make the choice to trust that other people are going to be kind to you and not judge you as harshly as you think you are. You trust that you can put yourself out there and maybe prove yourself wrong. Maybe you won't every time, you know, maybe you'll go out and you will be uncomfortable and maybe somebody says something rude to you. And that's still the process of resilience because you're still learning how to cope and how to respond to these to these difficult situations in ways that will make you stronger and more compassionate next time for yourself and for other people. Yeah. It's yeah. so, it's so important and we can all, we can all live, you know, such a fuller Absolutely. life when we start to engage in these practices with ourselves and with others. Lindsay, before we get to our last couple questions, tell us about the book. We're so excited. Yeah. We want to hear all about it. I'm so excited too. So <laughs> the book is definitely the most exciting opportunity we've ever had. We were approached by an agent. It's literally been two years now since this agent here wow. approached us. Oh my God. That you should write a book. I think what you're doing is great. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, we, we got a book deal with Houghton Mifflin Harcourt, which is so 
exciting. And the book is written and now it's like in the behind the scenes, like editing, marketing process and everything. It'll be published on December 29th, 2020. So it is available for pre-sale. We've just started advertising it just this week. So we hope that people will pre-order it and get one for your loved ones too, who might appreciate it. That pre-sale stuff is a big deal and it's everything. This book is the accumulation of everything that we've ever done. It's our PhD research. It's the research we've conducted through our online course over the last like seven years. The thousands of people who have been following us online and sharing their transformations and journeys with us, that data is in there. And it's also really personal stuff from me and Lexi, kind of like the, what I just shared with you about proving myself wrong. So we really hope it'll resonate with people. It's called More Than a Body. Oh, well, we can't so wait sure. to read it. Yes. Everybody's going to get it now. I'm, yes. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. <laughs> Same. Julia will 100% link it. So yes, I'll link it in the show notes. Everybody can get it. <laughs> it sounds amazing. It Lindsay, does. you've been incredible. Before we let you go, we just have two little questions for you. If you could tell your 20s year old self one thing, what would it be? Ooh, um, I think I would say that I would be like, Lindsay, your happiness and your success in your life is not conditional on how you look. So just do it either way. Pursue exactly what you wanna do. Put yourself out there and take risks and that'll pay off even if you don't look like you thought you were going to at this age. It's really something I've been thinking about so much even just the last couple of days. Like, what would my future self tell me right now? And I think I would just look back and say, like, I'm proud of you. You have really set me up for success because you were willing to take some chances and prove yourself wrong. Like, prove that the early 20s you who was so nervous to do anything because I thought I was going to be judged and, you know, wanted to, like, lose 20 pounds before I did my first speaking engagement or whatever. No, none of that is necessary. Just go live your life. <laughs> oh, just live your life. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Yep. <laughs> And our last question for you is where can people find you in general? Where can they find you if they want to work with you? Help yourself out. Yeah, good question. Um, so Instagram is where we do a lot of our most public work and that's at beauty underscore redefined. We are working on a branding change. We haven't really talked to anyone about this, but we will be more than a body, just like our book title. <laughs> We feel like it's just more fitting for the research. Yeah, yeah love it. Love Let it. Let be focused, but people who go to Beauty Redefined will be able to find us through, at more than a body. And um, yeah, online, we're at beautyredefined.org. Our website is there. We offer an online course there as well. It's an eight-week online course online course that's all research backed based on our research. We tested it during our PhDs. It's very effective. And uh, yeah, if people want to work with us, get at us through DM and through our website. You can always take our online course, ask us questions. Yeah, we really appreciate the opportunity to share with your audience. So thanks for having me on. We, we, we are so grateful for you, really. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for being here, Lindsay. This was so, so amazing and powerful. educational and Everything. powerful. We're so grateful for your time and Everyone get the book when it comes out yes. in December. Yes, please. <laughs> so exciting. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to Roaring 20s Podcast. Be sure to rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and please subscribe. You're never alone. Our pride sticks together. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Roaring 20s Podcast. You get to start your week with us and end your week with us. With, with love, love, Brenda and Julia. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.